Nomine Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu miliarbus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. In nomine Patris et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Brethren in Christ, laudetu Jesus Christus. In secula. This is Timothy Flanders with the Meaning of Catholic. This is the Terror of Demons morning show. Reclaiming traditional Catholic masculinity. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Kennedy Hall. Kennedy, how you doing, brother? My face is cold. How are you? My face is cold as well. I'm trying to warm it up. Not as cold as yours, though. Yeah, we did something crazy. We got rid of the beard for now, but I think I'm going to grow it back, but we just decided to have a change for a minute. This was an uh, eight-year beard. Well, I mean, it's been probably about seven years since I've ever used a razor, and then about six and a half, seven years since I had an actual beard beard. So there Okay. You yeah. All right. Well, there you have uh, naked <clears throat> with a uh, – sorry, Kennedy with a naked face yeah. before you. Uh, we have we have the <laughs> we have the the chats already exploding with uh, shock and awe. So know, that, that's what we're all about here: shock and awe on the Terror of Demons Morning Show. So uh, once again, make sure Christmas is coming. Make sure you that you buy the Terror of Demons book. The link is below. Uh, if you have any means, support our apostolate. Link also below. Share this video, like and subscribe. That helps us fight against the YouTube Marxist bots. Yeah. which are right now coming against us because this video has the title lockdowns. Mm -hmm. So the, the subject of this video, we're going to talk about ghosts and demons, and then we'll talk about lockdowns. And the reason that we're talking about ghosts is because we need to remember, even though November has been overshadowed by a crazy election in the yeah. United States, which is still being decided, we need to remember the poor souls. This is the num November is the month of the poor souls. December is the month of the four last things. So we're talking about purgatory all month long. Then we'll talk about death, judgment, heaven, and hell next month. So we need to remember the poor souls and the, uh, the helping the souls in purgatory. And I was going to look it up actually because I think that the indulgence was extended through the whole month. It was visiting its okay? You know that for sure. Yes. So the okay. So you can. Uh, so help me out, Kennedy. The isn't it just you? You pray at a cemetery for the poor souls under the usual conditions. Under the usual conditions, um, but I believe they want you to do a, a like an Apostles' Creed and Our Father. Like there's a, two or three prayers that to make it official. Um, they told us the other day at mass, but they didn't make it clear that it was through November thirtieth. Um, but then there's this the eight day period or something still applies. Right. So if you go and do your prayers, you still have to receive communion and 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 uh, do you have to make a good confession? Is that part of it as well? Well, here's the. The usual conditions, which were extended by the year of Jubilee some years ago, which have never been revoked. It's actually 20 days. So you, as long as you so you you need to here's what you need to do just so everybody knows to obtain an indulgence for a poor soul. You obtain a plenary indulgence for a poor soul, which means for one soul in purgatory, you obtain the full remission of their sins that they go to heaven. So you're basically obtaining a, a heaven uh, entry for hmm. a poor soul because <clears throat> you are off because the poor soul is, is, is paying for his sins in purgatory. Right. And 
we should get just get a real quick primer of purgatory out of the way just because uh unfortunately this is not preached almost at all so purgatory is we're doing purgatory right now purgatory is now and after as well because what you do now in terms of your penance and your purification sanctification through mortification is you are continuing on what Christ starts in you to be united with Jesus Christ. So there are, so the saints who achieve the divine union here on earth, they go straight to heaven because they've already done their purgatory here. So the yep. purgatory is a spectrum from now through the, the purgatory after death to heaven. So those who have not achieved divine union in this life, they go to purgatory after death, which is where you die in a state of grace, but you have a great deal of sin still left in your soul. So you have to pay for that. So you have to pay for your sins through suffering. A great, uh, great thing to read this this month and next is the Divine Comedy by Dante, and we're actually going to have a, a sneak peek. Um, I'm really excited for this show because it's going to be my old professor from college. We're going to talk about Dante, and uh, it, it's definitely the epic poem to end all epic poems. Yeah. So yes, yeah, so purgatory. So a soul in purgatory now. The souls that are in purgatory now are paying for their sins so that they can go to heaven. So they've already been saved. They're going to heaven. They just need to pay for their sins. So obtaining a plenary indulgence is simply helping them along the way because in the community of saints, we all help, help each other. And so plenary indulgence. So there's three conditions for plenary indulgence. You first, you, you go to Holy communion the day of the indulgence. Two, you pray for the intentions of the Holy Father. Now, before anyone freaks out about that, when you intentions, attention the Holy when you, when you when you pray for the intentions of the Holy Father, you are praying for firstly the intentions of the office of the papacy, which is always to preach the gospel and root out heresy, etc. Mm -hmm. So that never changes because it's the office of the papacy. So that doesn't. That, so it's it's kind of like even if the office of the priest is, if you know, someone who's who's um, you know fulfilling the office of the priest, he can, and he's a wicked man, he can yep. still give you valid sacraments. Yep. So in the same way, when you when we pray for the valid, we pray for the office or the uh, intentions of the Holy Father, we're not saying if Pope Francis intends yeah. something evil, yeah. we're not praying for that. Okay, we're not praying for tutti frutti. So don't worry. So don't worry about that. Just pray for the intentions of the Holy Father. That's just saying you're praying for all the good things that you would normally pray for any holy pope would intend mm -hmm. because there's been many there's been plenty of popes who have not intended the preaching of the gospel or reading of heresy so yeah. and then the third requirement is to go to confession now this mm -hmm. can be done 20 days prior or 20 days after That's right. the actual action of the indulgence so the action of the indulgence in this case is going to a seminary and praying for the dead so those are the three. Th so when, when you hear when you read anything about a indulgence and it says under the usual conditions, they're talking about those three things, confession, communion and prayer for the Holy Father's intentions. And then you do some act. So this is simply a, uh, indulgence means a kind pardon. It simply means that God is going to get your brother off the hook, even though he doesn't deserve it. He's just going to allow that because of his mercy to the saints, because he's. He's applying the graces and the merits that have been attained by our Lord and his and the saints that are super abundant, more than they even need. And he's applying that to their souls. So quick primer on purgatory. Mm -hmm. So go to the cemetery before the the years, the uh, month is over so that you can 
obtain an indulgence for the poor souls. And uh, Kennedy, what? Why do we care about ghosts? What do What do ghosts have to do with the poor souls? Yeah, so ghosts are actually uh, a teaching of the church. Um, I don't know what level that would be in aughts levels of dogma. I, I don't know if there's like an anathema attached to believing certain things about ghosts. Okay, um, but traditionally in the writings of great saints, in the lives of lived experiences of Catholics, and in a lot of pious literature over the years, ghosts are a legitimate thing. Now, um, <clears throat> in our, well, popular culture, we usually confuse or mix or mingle the idea of ghosts with demons. Um, we were talking before the show whether or not we should apply the word preternatural to ghosts. Um, I'm not sure if that's the case, uh, but I don't know if we would do supernatural either because that's applied to divine things, if I'm not mistaken. So in any case, um, ghosts are basically the souls of poor sinners in purgatory who are looking for our attention for a purpose of being prayed for. Or I also think that it's legitimate to say that they're trying to help us in some way. Um, so, uh, you know, it's funny. Ghost stories are something that everybody knows about, and uh, we sort of brush them off as being fanciful and whimsical or, or something and that could be the case but ghosts are a legitimate part of the catholic faith and most often when ghosts will visit you they will visit you with the intention for you to pray for them for something and often what will happen is um you know this is and this is where you see this sort of urban legends and things like that build off of these ghost stories is because um ghosts will visit you or visit a place or be present somewhere for a specific purpose. So for example, um, you know, if you died, um, I don't know, in a, you, you, were, you lived in a certain industry or something, or you had a business or, you know, a friend of mine, he, um, he's certain that there's a ghost at his house, the guy who used to own it. And there's various reasons for that. Um, so certain things come up where he's, that you're reminded of that person specifically for something that pertains to them so that you can be reminded to pray for that person specifically. So I'll give you a quick story. A friend of mine lives uh, near Niagara Falls and um, he has a house that was uh, owned by an old Italian man. <clears throat> and uh, Niagara Falls, for people that don't know, um, on both sides of the border, I don't know if it is on the, on the American side, but in Canada, it's wine country. There's something about the escarpment where it's got a temperate Sort of, it's cold, but there's a nice summer summer stretch there, so you can grow some nice wine. Anyway, <clears throat> so this guy owns a house there, and this old Italian man owned it. And there's a certain part of the house where, um, and actually this guy's uh, Serbian Orthodox, <laughs> this friend of mine. So um, there's a certain part of the house where he'll walk down, and um, immediately he'll be overrun with this sickly sweet smell of fermenting grapes. And... Um, also, he'll feel, feel this man sort of pulling at his feet, like almost pulling him down the stairs. And it happened over and over and over again. And then he sort of inquired into the for former owner, and that was a part of the renovation where he used to make his wine years ago. Anyway, so he's been praying for this man. So it was a, it's a very specific thing. It's a reminder to pray for this man who, I guess, is an old Italian man, happily died with the sacraments, but maybe died, you know, died with some temporal temporal uh, punishment that needed to be taken care of. So he's in purgatory. Um, so there, so those so souls in purgatory, when they visit are ghosts, um, uh, demons are different. Okay. So, so when ghosts will visit you, they'll be accompanied by, uh, not feelings of terror. That's different because they're not looking to terrorize you. Uh, they'll be associated by, well, it'll be startling because it's something you can't see or something 
out of the ordinary that's happening. Uh, but when demons visit, it's very different. Demons visit, it's an icy cold um, dread, feeling of dread or terror. The, the point is to make you despair, to make you horrified, and, uh, and also to tempt you into certain things. So there are ghosts, and they're different than demons. Reminds me of a, a great story from St. Teresa, Teresa of Avila, always the uh, a great saint to read uh, because she has a great wit. And uh, there's a story where she was sleeping and a demon manifested himself to her and when all his terrors and she woke up and saw him and then said, oh, you again, and then went back to sleep. <laughs> so that's uh that's a great uh, lesson for us to deal with demons because uh their power over us is essentially the amount of uh state of grace if we're in the state of grace and we do not consent to demons we need right. not be afraid of all their terrors um but uh i i looked up preternatural so the the latin is from preter which means besides except contrary to beyond in front of before more than so essentially it's it's something that's beyond natural yeah whereas supernatural is from supra which means above nature so supernatural would be god so that's above nature whereas be beyond nature is sort of still a parallel sort of horizontal on the same sort of plane angels are essentially we man, man is an angel and an animal together in one we have a body and a soul and angels only have souls. Mm -hmm. So we're talking just about sort of horizontally. They're on the same level as us in terms of their ontology. Right. So they're just beyond nature. They're not above nature. So it seems that preternatural seems to fit with ghosts. Yeah. Um, in a, but preternatural in a sense of just being beyond nature, not being anything that's inimical to nature as demons are. Exactly. So... So you're, what you're saying is a ghost is simply some soul in purgatory, which is trying to simply communicate with us mm -hmm. to try to get some help for their soul in purgatory, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I've never, I mean, I haven't seen anything contrary to what I'm, I'm thinking here. Um, because for one, ghosts want you to pray for them because we want to pray for the holy souls and souls in purgatory. But we also ask the holy souls in purgatory to pray or intercede for us, right, as part of their penance, etc. So there is a reality that um, ghosts can be, well, essentially searching for or advocating for prayers for themselves, in a sense, you know, like pray for me so I can be released from this. But they can also warn us of certain things, because part of their penance can be to help the souls here on earth in, in which is why we ask them to pray for us. Um, so there's plenty of stories. I mean, you know what's funny? If you ask, ask even uh, even uh, not, I guess hardened skeptics probably would disregard a lot of it. But a lot of people who are non-religious. But if you sit down and you've had a couple whiskeys and sort of say, "Hey, you have any ghost stories?" and it's amazing what people will tell you about uh, ghost stories. And it's interesting because there's a like I said, there's a difference between ghosts and demons. Demons in inspire terror. Uh, well, actually, they inspire terror or they inspire temptation towards sins. You know, that's that they kind of come with both angles. Whereas ghosts, they almost inspire like a curiosity. Um, and there's an arresting quality when you encounter a ghost. 
where uh, you're almost well, you're almost paralyzed in a sense, not out of fear, but out of wonder. Um, and interactions with ghosts a lot of the time manifest themselves very physical. So you'll see things moving in your house. Um, you'll see um, well taps going on and off, lights going on and off. One thing that's really common, and little kids will tell you about this. Mine haven't, but I've, I've known people have. And, um, they'll say things, you know, like basically a ghost will do something like mess up your desk or your room, okay, uh, or put, you know, push books off your shelf or things like that. So kids will claim, oh, mom, look, you know, why'd you mess up your room? And say, I didn't. I closed the door. And actually, my, I have a friend who has this story when they, when this person was a kid. Um, they didn't really understand it at the time because the parents didn't have any religious framework for it. But they would just close their door, clean room, they come back mm -hmm. at their bed and something would be messed up. And they would they would swear, they'd say, Mom, I wasn't in my room, I was in my room. And years later, they realized that it was a ghost um, that was looking to be prayed for who would have lived there beforehand. Um, so also to ghosts, um, they'll visit people within their family lines a lot um, because there are certain things if you're trying to get somebody's attention, there's certain things that you can only know if you sort of know about the person. So let's say, uh, I don't know, something stereotypical, like, you know, you visit your grandson or ghost is visiting a grandson because uh, they loved baseball or something. So he manifests himself in a way that reminds him of whatever they used to play baseball in the park or something. So that would be something you key into knowing who that person was because you know about that person. Okay. And so based on what you said, um, I want to go over to the website and talk about the level of this doctrine. Um, right. First of all, if total side note, if you've experienced an error when you try to visit meaningofcatholic.com, it's because we've become popular enough that Google has <laughs> tried to do whatever their Google thing they do. And uh, I've tried to fix the issue of the weekend. So this should you should not get an error message. But if you do clear the cache on your browser and then try again. And if, if anybody's watching this, please do me a favor and do go to the website. And if you do get the error, clear your cache and then try again. And then if it still doesn't work after that, please send me a message and let me know if it's not working. Because the tech support told me it was working. But if it's not working, let me know. Um, so anyhow, it, so if you go over here to about confession of faith and you click, you scroll down here to the meaning of Catholic, we've got the six levels of, of binding certainty, essentially. So there is, uh, all the way up to day fide, which is explicit in scripture tradition may also be explicitly defined by highest church's authority all the way down to sententia probabilis, which includes pious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Now <clears throat> I, when you sit, talk about ghosts, I think of first Kings. Yes. Which is where Saul, after he has fallen from being the anointed king, he goes to a witch doctor. Right. So this is an interesting question about witches who are obviously demonic and ghosts. Because St. Paul, or sorry, not St. Paul, King Saul. That's right. Uh, chapter 28 of 1 Kings. By the way, this is also 1 Samuel in some Bibles. Um, so he talks to this witch doctor. And he asks her to conjure up the ghost of Saul. And um, he, so here, verse 14, he said to her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul understood that it was Samuel. And he bowed himself to the face and adored. And Samuel said to Saul, 
So we now we have a ghost talking to Saul. Why hast thou disturbed my rest that I should be brought up? And Saul said, I am in great distress for the Philistines fight against me and God has departed from me and would not hear me, etc. Verse 16, and Samuel said, why askest thou me seeing the Lord has departed from thee and has gone over to thy rival for the Lord will do to thee as he spoke to me, etc. So we, we have this situation where he calls upon a witch doctor. She actually conjures up an actual ghost who is actually Samuel. And then Samuel talks to him. So, and then besides that, we have the transfiguration, which is where we might, I'm not sure if we would call those ghosts, essentially. It says, it's just, the text simply says, Elijah and Moses appeared to him, which would we assume are, are ghosts in some sense, because they are beyond nature, but they're not saints, because heaven has not been opened yet. So, it, I think that there, on the one hand, it's, there's, it's a very pious belief, I think, in yeah. terms of ghosts. But I think there is a great deal of evidence in the scriptures where there is an explicit reference to ghosts as, yep. as so you have ghosts happening in scripture explicitly so i w i mean it seems to be a, a far stronger level of doctrine to me what, um, and, I, and i would say um, it's part of the census fidelium in the sense that it it goes down through the ages amongst catholics of all generations talking about similar things you know i mean it's it's sort of implied in the I guess small T tradition, but when something goes when something goes across all the millennia and all the centuries, and um, similar things are said with similar vocabulary by holy men and women, great saints. I mean, it's not something that's just sort of a whimsical tale. It's really something that's been believed by all at all times, more or less, and none of it contradicts the faith. Right, and and when we have something like this where it's not been defined, but many saints have believed in it. It's very common. That is a situation where, I, I mean, I, it seems to me, at least based on what we're saying, it would at least be a sententia certa. Yeah, exactly. Which which is essentially something that isn't what we define here is implicit in scripture and tradition, not explicitly defined by the church. Yeah. And so this is something where, uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I was saying the wrong one. Sententia communis is what I meant okay. to say. The common teaching, which is implicit in tradition and is generally accepted by theologian, but is technically a free opinion, which mm -hmm. I, I'm saying it is at least that, at least that if yeah. not more. Yeah. Um, and as, even a sententia communis, we are bound to accept it unless we have a grave cause otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so what we have here is it is listed to object to these teaching if and only if there's a grave cause to object to any any without grave cause is the mortal sin of temerity, mm -hmm. meaning it's an act of pride. So we can't just simply say, well, oh, well, I disagree with that hmm. on my own personal opinion and my own personal authority. That's not good enough. You need to have a serious investigation into something where you might have a, some sort of grounds for that that's a grave cause and not simply, you know, you'd be pulling a bunch of authorities, you'd be quoting all these saints and the scripture and whatever, etc., and you'd be really making some kind of cause of case for this. You wouldn't just be dismissing out of your own opinion. We, yeah, we can't do that to these sorts of things, even if it's ghost stories, because it's so common. Yeah, and and again, we separate between this. You know, this is a thing. Um, Christmas is coming up, and I'm going to actually do some videos. Um, well, Advent's coming, but then Christmas. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to do some uh, videos for the Fatima Center about. Advent traditions and so forth and things to do with Christmas. And one of the things I'm going to talk about is Santa Claus 
I know people get all one way or the other, get really excited, you know, whatever it's wrong. It's right. Fine. And I did a, a video on Halloween that we talked about <clears throat> and, um, it's, it, we need to separate between what are <clears throat> fun folklore sort of pious traditions that may or may not be a, for or against the faith. Right. So basically you look at something and you go, um, is this thing offensive to God or is it not? Right. So, uh, there could be ghost stories that are totally whimsical and have nothing to do with the dogma of ghosts. They're just sort of tales you tell around the campfire, but they might not be offensive to God because they're just imaginative and so forth. And that's sort of a part of your cultural traditions. We need to distinguish between those things and what are actual uh, spiritual realities that are part of the lived experience of Catholics over the centuries and fit scripture and tradition. And then those things are doctrinal. So, um, like all things, Santa Claus is an example that I'll talk about in a couple of weeks on the Fatima Center. Is um, there's the story of Saint Nicholas, who is a real saint, uh, who his feast day is obviously December sixth. But then there's you know the things that he did at Christmas time, the, the stories about what he would you know provide the poor with with presents and things. Um, but that sort of morphs into a story over time, maybe mixes with you know, cultural traditions and so forth. But the point is you can distinguish between the actual theological or historical reality and the folklore part of it. Um, and the same thing has to be done with ghost stories. So most of the time, ghost stories do contain a kernel of theological truth, good ghost stories, you know? So um, they'll talk about, you know, old man so-and-so lived in a house and he stays there till this day, you know? There's actually kind of probably a truth to that in the sense that we know that ghosts manifest themselves in ways that are, specific to how they lived or where they lived so that you'll pray for that person specifically where it usually goes off the rails in a ghost story is it becomes you know the ghost is trying to you know play tricks on you and scare you or something like that um, which would be the opposite of what we actually know from their purpose of haunting or you know that sort of thing which would be to actually attract you to pray for them rather than to turn you off but nonetheless it's still based on a theological truth now what about this this story here in first Kings where it, it is actually a demonic incantation, which yeah. brings up a ghost because obviously there are seances and things of that nature, which are demonic, which are trying to communicate with ghosts. And so in, and we have this testimony of scripture where the demonic actually conjures up the ghost. So what do you, how do you distinguish between this action of the demonic and the action of the ghost in terms of, witch doctors and that sort of thing. Well, I would say, um, technically speaking, the word ghost can mean disembodied spirit. This is why we say Holy Ghost. Um, and this is why it's probably, you know, I, I'd say Holy Ghost because we just, that's, we've, we used to say Holy Spirit, but then we started going to traditional chapel and always Holy Ghost is said. So we partly just started saying it so our kids wouldn't be confused. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons why English, the English language ha has insisted historically on saying ghost rather than spirit um, is because in English specifically ghost means a personal individual spirit, right? So um, whereas spirit can be something amorphous like the, the spirit of 66 or something like that, you know, this, you know, so um, ghost means disembodied or, or individual spiritual entity. So um, it could be in the old Testament where it is a demonic reality but at the same time um it could also be in god's mercy that um well it could be in god's mercy that it's a warning you know i mean paul saul is is is, is asking for 
you know, he's basically going to a, a soothsayer or a witch doctor or whatever, which is wrong. But in God's mercy, um, I guess at that time they would have been in the limbo of fathers if they had died in God's justice. So there could have been a reality there where um, there's sort of a warning from this ghost. Um, now, but as far as going to, to seances and all that kind of stuff, it's possible that, uh, I mean, this is the thing too. A lot of this is fuzzy because it's mixed with folklore and teaching. So um, sometimes you'll have these ghost hunters and things like that, which never do that. That's insane because you could be tricked by the devil and that's just for TV and that's wrong. And actually one of the reasons you want to know why ghost hunting and stuff is a total uh, terrible thing to do is um, I have a friend actually who's the same guy, the Serbian Orthodox guy, and he's in TV. He does uh, filming and things. And he's a very devout Orthodox man who actually loves Fatima and things. Very interesting. But uh, he has worked on a lot of these shows or with people. So he knows all these people who work in Ghost Hunter and stuff. Because this guy's like, he's a producer and stuff in, in television. And the lives of these men who do these ghost hunting shows, they always just completely disintegrate. Like like terrible tragedies happen. They always, this is why you'll see this guy used to have a ghost hunting show for four or five years. It was number one on sci-fi or something. And then all of a sudden you never hear from him again. And you find out later on that he's had like a drug problem and lost his wife or something. The point is, is they mess with spiritual realities that they shouldn't and then just completely taken over by demons. Anyway, um, as far as um, uh, seances and things like that, you're, if you're going to a seance, never go, by the way, but if you've gone and somebody has said, you're, you know, your dead relative says this or that or whatever, 99.9% .9 of the time, the person's either a fraud, so they're telling you, um, well, I talk about this in Family Be Damned, you know, you go to a, a medium and they say things like, oh, I'm seeing that you live near a, a railway track, or there's a bank, or there's a field. <laughs> and you go, oh my goodness, only a kilometer away, there is a bank, and there's a, a, there's a baseball dot. That's a field. It's near my house. You know, and it's like, you idiot. Everyone on earth lives near a field or a bank or a railway track in some way, you know, it's a total fraud. On the other hand, though, there are people that can be legitimately the playthings of devils or have given themselves over. And they do have a preternatural sense because the, the, the demons have hyperintelligence, you know, they, you know, they have an exalted intelligence. So they're telling them things that are that only demons don't read your mind, so to speak. I mean, you can invite them in. They don't they don't like live in your mind. But they, one of the analogies I heard from somebody who works with exorcists and things is uh, demons are like right here. <laughs> they're right in front of your face. And it's almost like... Um, you know, you know how stockbrokers or actuarial people or uh, actuarial scientists who work with numbers and things, they have really incredible mathematical algorithms to figure out the probabilities of what's most likely going to happen. And they're right off. They're often very correct. Demons are like that. Their intelligence and their pattern recognition, if you want to look at it like that, is so exalted because of their preternatural nature that they basically can predict the future based on what they see happening. But they don't live outside of space and time. That's actually, uh, I was talking to a priest the other day, um, Father Paul McDonald, who works with the Fatima Center. He's a very good priest. And he was telling us, he says, you know, one of the biggest things, his pet peeve is when people say that demons or angels are outside of space and time. They're not because they're creatures. But they live in a, and actually C.S. Lewis explains this really well in one of his books, explaining um, in one of the science fiction books, explaining the reality of how angels move. Um, but there's a reality where they sort of are 
not outside of space and time, but they almost straddle the lines of it because of their agility, their ability to move. So the same thing is with their mind. So demons, so you could go to a seance or something, which you should never do. The person could be a fraud or they could be possessed basically. And, and demons are speaking. Also what's common um, with people who go to, and by the way, I've never been to these things. I kind of stumbled upon uh, friends of mine who worked in deliverance ministry and things. Uh, I don't work with them anymore in it because it was when I was in the charismatic renewal. <laughs> um, but I just was fascinated. So I researched it a lot because I kind of thought, if you're wrong about this, you're basically playing with hellfire. <laughs> so we should probably figure this out. So I don't, I've never been like into Ouija boards or anything. Mercifully, I've never been into that. But nonetheless, I know a lot about it just from sort of wanting to look into it. But but sometimes what will happen is when people will go to seances or to mediums and things, they'll actually hear voices that sound like their loved ones coming out of the person who's speaking. But that's a diabolical tongue. So this is like when somebody's under exorcism, they'll actually get a different voice or a series of voices because the demons are legion and they might be multiple. Um, so that's really, really sketchy stuff. You know, uh, I can't tell you, I won't, won't give identities, but people I've talked to, they come from relatively pious families, you know, never miss mass and open to life, whatever. But then so-and-so dies in their family and in sadness, one of their cousins or something says, listen, I know somebody, we can talk to your loved one. And, you know, the devils are predators and they, they, they prey on you when you're weak. So they'll sort of, against their better judgment go to these things, say, oh, I listen to so-and-so, listen, whatever. And then all of a sudden, their house is infested with demons or something. Um, but they swear they heard them because, well, the person was talking to me and they had the same voice as Papa, you know? And it's, yeah, I mean, devils are great tricksters. So um, demons are bad news, obviously, but the ghostly is, is a real thing. Yeah, so <clears throat> do not do seances, Never. Ouija boards, tarot cards, psychics. What else? What am I missing? I mean, we, there's a whole uh, medium. Yeah, there's, there's actually a whole uh, other website. Uh, you've got a yeah. nice. Uh, let me do this again. You've got a nice list of pagan traps, mm -hmm. which not right. all of these are totally pagan, no. but they can lead to them. List of pagan and new age traps. So these are all talking coming out of uh, Kennedy's book. So all of these can in some way either lead to paganism, new age, demonic, or are themselves demonic already. Right. And so there's so many different avenues of it. So um, I, maybe I, I think should, of, maybe I should clarify a couple things on there, though, because we've been getting a lot of messages <clears throat> from people who are saying, yeah. what about this part of it? So if you just want to scroll down a little bit there on the list, yeah. um, homeopathy is on there, right? I love natural and homeop homeopathic medicine. Like we use it a lot in our family. I'm not anti you know, right. hey, if I got pneumonia and I'm going to yeah, die. I wouldn't mind uh, <laughs> like some antibiotics if that's going to save my life. I'm not, you know, but I'm just saying as a baseline, I like to go to the natural and homeopathic um, things. And anyway, I think there's merit to it. But the reason why, for example, homeopathy is on there is because these are traps. So people will say, well, what's wrong with this? Listen, nothing wrong with homeopathic medicine per se. There is something wrong with superstition. That's the point. So, um, hey, you know, we have like, for example, um, you know, back in March, uh, our kids got super sick. I don't know if they had coronavirus or something, but they, we had bad colds and things and we had decided to go natural, uh, so to speak for the most part. 
um, you know, a couple months prior to that. And um, things being as they were, we didn't want to go to the doctor and everything was so weird. Everything was locked down. Um, so we just tried some ear oils and whatever, and they were great. So we have these like, um, you know, natural honey based cough syrups and stuff. And they worked wonderfully. It was great. We got through it. The kids, their fevers came down. It was wonderful. But when you go into these naturopathic stores, you'll see this aisle of vitamins and things that are legit, you know, essential oils and things can be very helpful. But then at the same time, there's usually like a, like a display of crystals, healing crystals and things like that. That's where the problems become with these things. So that's why if, if people look at this list and um, maybe in the future when people say, well, what about this? I'll probably just refer them to this video and I'll say, go, you know, go to about minute uh, 40 in the video. And it's not that everything on there is bad. Some of it is, some of it's completely wrong. Uh, but a lot of it is just, it's a trap for superstition that you get preyed upon by charlatans. And then they introduce right. those things. Yeah, I think we, we, just, the, we just need to make the distinction on a philosophical level because mm -hmm. there's essentially natural remedies, which yes. are like essential oils is a good example. It, yeah. it's, just a, it's just a distilled version of different plants and herbs and whatnot that work. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not, we're not trying to evoke, invoke energies exactly. or the energy of the world or all, any of that stuff. I mean, basically, we just need to distinguish between we know that the natural, meaning everything that is created by God works. I mean, we can work. There's different medicines or whatever. Maybe yeah. it's a pharmaceutical. Maybe it's an herb. Whatever works for you, for your illness. But not when we talk about preternatural things. Exactly. When we talk about invoking something that's preternatural, something that is beyond nature, something that's spiritual, anything spiritual. So at that point, you either have you have two options. You have God or the saints. Right. That's or, or like we're talking about, we're talking about the souls in purgatory praying for us. Mm -hmm. And the only difference between a soul in purgatory and a soul in heaven is simply a degree, a degree exactly. of holiness. They're still yeah. the same horizontal stuff. creature in terms of a soul. Yeah. So there, it's really just God and the souls, basically, if you will. Um, but when we, for example, a good example of this is Dia de los Muertos, which is yeah. where they some some superstitious Mexicans will offer food. To their ancestors mm -hmm. well that's an example of i mean unless they're doing it just sort of in their honor if yes. they're actually trying to feed spirits with food that's superstitious because you can't feed a soul with physical food it doesn't help them what helps them is prayers you know so mm -hmm. when we talk about uh when we're dealing with a ghost this is i mean we basically just call a priest i mean what, what would you say kennedy I'd call a priest and if you or if you can figure out what they need you can pray for them and mm -hmm offer a mass for them. You can call a priest and have a mass said for this soul. I mean, many, cool. many of the things will probably solve any disturbances that they're trying to communicate with you. What do you think? Yeah. And I'll tell, I'll t well, we, we should, um, we want to talk about the lockdowns. So yeah. We got to talk about the lockdowns. Well, so I'll finish with a story here, which is a fun ghost story. And um, so a friend of mine is a teacher and like me, he likes to teach the Catholic faith in every subject that he teaches. He's a wonderful, he's one of my best friends. And often he'll get students who come into his class and it's a Catholic school, um, but they don't really know their faith. You know, it's sort of a parochial school and it's varying levels of, of, of faith amongst the students. And um, but he's open and he's awesome. He's wonderful. So he'll tell them about the faith. Kids get excited, whatever. They'll start praying the rosary or doing novenas and stuff because he'll talk about them. And then, hey, strange things in a good way happen in their lives because they're having conversions and whatnot. Anyway. So one day they're talking about 
these sorts of things in class as you do. I mean, ever, anyone who's ever been a teacher knows that you could be teaching like insane hard calculus, but there will be a few days a year in your class, two in the afternoon, where you're just tired and kids ask questions. And before you know it, you've talked about something completely off topic for 25 minutes. <laughs> and some of your best moments in high school are probably remembering those stories you have with your teachers. Um, so they were talking about something. Anyway, this one young lady, she talks about how she swears every night she's visited by this soldier in her room and it freaks her out. She's not like terrified, but she's she can't understand why this soldier, and seriously, just this soldier keeps visiting her. And this kid's like a 14-year-old kid, not very knowledgeable about history and stuff. Anyway, my friend um, is a pious Catholic man, so and he is really um, into praying for the holy souls in purgatory every day. It's a big part of his spiritual life. And so he basically says to her, well, start praying a novena to so-and-so. I can't remember which one it was because this is probably a holy soul in purgatory. Because, you know, he asks, what is this, what is this soldier doing? I mean, are you dreaming? Um, is this person trying to terrify you? You know, what's, you know, what, and, and the person kept showing up at three in the morning, three in the morning, every single day, every single day. So anyway, starts praying um, this novena. At the end of the novena, out of nowhere, okay, like last day, mom is cleaning out the attic or the storage room, wherever it is, and says, here, I want to show you something. And uh, she opens up an old photo album and finds an old picture of a grand her grandfather, either her grandfather or her mother's grandfather, someone she had never met who died decades ago, dressed in a World War I military uniform, and the girl starts weeping and freaks out. She goes, oh, my goodness, that's the exact man who's been visiting me every night for like a year. This is on the last day of the novena. Then that night goes to sleep, finishes novena, three in the morning. Uh, the same person shows up, but sort of nods and smiles as in saying thank you. And then just sort of goes off in like a very beautiful way and never saw them again. So there's a specific example of how it she when she was visited this week she wasn't terrified when she was visited by this holy soul it wasn't like dread or anything it was just wonder it was an arresting stunning sort of startling uh, reality but was not something that made it scary for her to fall asleep or anything like that and then prayed the novena for this i believe it was to saint therese i can't remember but prayed a novena for the release of this holy soul from purgatory and on the ninth day and once again this person was in her family she didn't know that, but in God's infinite wisdom with seeing things in a three-dimensional sense and applying space and time how he, how he sees fit, um, it was made clear to her that this man was a member of her family. So there's this, you know, visiting the family line, why is that? Well, it makes sense because we know who it is and so on and so forth. And that's just one story of many that I have, but that's um, a, a real thing that happened to a friend of mine. That's great. And that, that reminds us because the we just had Armistice Day yes. last week or in the United States Veterans Day, which is very important because soldiers very often die without the sacraments. Yeah, And that's one of the worst risks of being a soldier is dying without the sacraments. Yeah. And so I think there are many, I mean, you often hear of ghost stories involving soldiers because Makes sense. they're probably in a situation where they didn't die, they died without the sacraments or whatnot. So yeah. very important uh, uh, to remember our fallen 
fathers and pray for them on these days of memorial because the the secular republics want to just exalt in the fallen for our glorious republic but we exactly. want to actually pray for them and actually help them so but our fall our glorious republics are also ushering in the brave new world of shutting down churches and economies oh. and uh they think that they can just shut <laughs> it's, it's just insane these people Ridiculous. i mean they think they can just shut down the economy and <laughs> don't worry we'll just send you a check in the mail no problem they're so oh, stupid we, we don't have any money oh we'll just print some more money we got hit we got the printers right here boom no Monopoly. problems problem solved uh but they don't realize what what happens when you print money is that inflation skyrockets and then your money's worthless and then the then we might have a serious crisis when we have a serious economic shutdown yeah, yeah. and meanwhile all the poor are losing their jobs uh the homeless are abandoned the elderly are dying alone it's a brave new communist world so yeah, what do we do now what do we do <laughs> oh man um okay i'm gonna go to the the furthest not extremes but i'm gonna follow this out to the logical conclusion if all of this stuff so okay i should back up i actually don't buy the high i should i'm gonna try to phrase this properly I once again, I listen to Father. We've talked about this. Listen to Father Ripperger's new series on communism. How it's the same as demons. It's communism. Absolutely essential. Okay. The devil always says the devil is a trickster. This is actually something you learn from folk tales of old pagan cultures. They always talk about the spirits being tricksters. They have an they have an amicable view of them, but it's true. The devil is a trickster insofar as he's fooling you. Okay. The devil will tell you lies. He'll tell you up is down and down is up. Good is evil, whatever. The, ver the words that are being used by these communists need to be understood as deceptions. So when they say things like the great reset, which I'm not sold on, only reason is I still, I'm not saying that that's, there's not a plot, but the only reason why I think it's a little bit too simple at times is because it could just be that they have an immense amount of pride and want to show us what they're going to do to us. It could also be it's a distraction for something else because we're all obsessed with it and then they're doing something else behind the scenes. So I'm, I'm going to hold my judgment a little bit on it. But if it is true, it's not a reset, it's a collapse. Because that's what it is. I mean, you can't reset society unless the society is going to collapse in some function. So it may be that they have in their mind that they're going to do something, but what they're doing is they're causing a collapse. You know, it's like somebody... Um, Actually, Zachary King, the former Satanist, Father um, Father David Nix just did a show with him. I haven't watched it yet, but he did like a two-hour episode talking about how this guy used, he used to be high up in like these Satanist covens or whatever. It's crazy stuff. But he talked about how he would go and destroy churches. And he would go after Baptist churches a lot for some reason. But they would go in and basically they would cause the church to collapse so then they could rebuild it. You might call that a reset. Okay. So if there's going to be a great reset, it's because things are going to collapse. It doesn't mean it's going to be Mad Max. Um, we shouldn't allow our minds to go to despair like that. We still have infrastructure. I mean, if you have spent time in the third world uh, on missions and things, for me, I've spent a little bit of time in Mexico, and not all Mexico's like that, but some parts are. To be honest, it's kind of helpful in situations like this because for everyone who's worried about things collapsing, the third world isn't actually that bad. <laughs> um, they still have electricity and internet and running water. The only difference is the infrastructure sucks, so it's inconsistent. But it's not as if you go from living in nice 
suburban American home to having to eat cockroaches. Like there's a lot of stuff in between there. Um, and if you're an enterprising person and you're smart and conscientious, you'll be fine no matter where you are. So that's something to just give you a little bit of peace of mind. Yeah, it, very important, just basic 101. I mean, live in, we live in America. A lot of our viewers right now are in Australia. Shout out to our Australian brethren. Yeah. Um, there's uh, also shout out to uh, Nicola. I was talking to me on Twitter in uh, England and Wales. He, he told me on Saturday that England and Wales, they've shut down all passes and uh, it's, I think it's still going on in Scotland and Northern Ireland right now. Um, but <clears throat> before we talk about the churches, important to have all your basic necessities yes. set right now. So that means you've got a stockpile of food. Mm -hmm. You've got a water purifier. So just in case it gets really bad and you need to go to a river to actually get water. So you can yep. just get, you know, it, you, you can buy a $40 water purifier from Amazon. Mm -hmm. which you would which i would use on a backpacking trip so you yes. can go to any river literally any river and use this purifier take out all the water you want put it in a huge jug whatever you need so you have all the water you need just you have a, and you can find on a map you know what's your where's your nearest natural water source yep. uh you can if you have a fireplace you just need an axe you know yep. you need matches so you, you you know if you if you lose heat you lose your gas you lose your electricity whatever you've got heat for your family you've got a fireplace you know this is what they did 100 years ago it's not that bad when you have a fireplace especially if you can sleep near the fire yeah um you know so it's it can be quite comfortable with a fireplace um you know and then guns and ammo make sure that you have guns and ammo if if you can uh you can. America, it's a lot easier to attain than in, a, in canada yeah. uh but that that's for that's for protection but it's also for hunting you know if you need to hunt you know if we need to do any of that situation so get all the assassins in place just because it does look like they're i mean if things got really bad this is just worst case scenario i mean exactly. it probably won't be that bad but just in case i mean i, I i'd rather be safe and sorry <laughs> in that situation with a wife and four children yeah. but um getting back to uh our brethren in england or I, I'm sure I haven't checked on what Victoria is doing over in Australia, but I know that Victoria is like the California of Australia. They chilled out a bit. They chilled out a bit. They're, they're, they chilled out? Okay, good. Glad to hear that. Um, well, you know why? Because, sorry to interrupt, but uh, it's a cold because it's a coronavirus. It's a bad cold for some people, but that's what a cold is, is a coronavirus. So flu, cold and flu season is worse. Australia has opposite seasons of us. And right, they're like, entering their summer, right? They're entering they're their summer. At this point. Right. Oh my goodness, the numbers are going down. You're right, because it's hotter outside and it's sunnier, so they have a higher level of vitamin D and they spend less time indoors. And I mean, it's literally, it's that's why New Zealand, New Zealand, remember in the beginning, New Zealand beat the coronavirus. Yeah, because it was the end of summer for them. And then they entered in cold and flu season. Oh, it's returned to New Zealand. They locked down again. Yeah. And then it's gone again. It's like, oh, you guys are a bunch of morons. Yeah, maybe uh, shout out to our sister, Lowell. Forrester, uh, she's watching right now. I think one of our patrons. Right. If you could tell us how Australia is doing with the lockdown uh, at this point, maybe they're opening up at this point with the with the warmer months coming along in Australia. But um, the uh, so yeah, so right now in the UK, masses are being shut down. There, the bishops are timid as always. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. all due respect to them, but we yeah. need we need. We need orthodoxy, right. but we also need courage. I mean, I think there's many bishops who are who could be called orthodox, but few bishops who could call be called orthodox and courageous. In America, yeah. we have one single bishop who is willing to stand up against the machine, 
and that is Bishop Strickland of Tyler, Texas. Um, a few other outliers who here and there uh, are courageous, but Bishop Strickland is consistently courageous. So shout out to His Excellency over in Tyler. Um, and yeah. but what do we do in the situation? I mean, to me, uh, once again, I think being a father and a children with children, I want to talk to a priest to make sure that they will follow divine law above their bishop. And what do I mean by that? I mean, giving confession and baptism, yep. no matter what the bishop says. And this is very important. We talked about this when we talked about, oh, by God, rather than men. And this is something that Father Ripperger, who is usually quite uh, not very direct in addressing situ this situation, which he's received some criticism for. It'd be nice if he was speaking up a lot more, but... He actually spoke up on this topic back when the lockdown was happening because yeah. they were locking down all the churches. Some bishops were even shutting down confession. They weren't even allowing priests to go to the dying. And Father Ripperger confirmed, this is something we talked about, I talked about it with Marshall on his show mm -hmm. months ago, that divine law commands a priest to give you confession and baptism. Uh, and last rites. And, yeah, last rites, confession for the dying. Absolutely. Like you can't, this is something that the bishop, and I think Pope Francis even said this, they, people have been pushing that, oh, you can just make spiritual communion, make a spiritual confession. You can make an act of perfect contrition. Well, the moralists say that you can't do that ex except with a special grace. Exactly. If you have a, if you are living a very pious life, you may be able to make a perfect act of contrition. It may be possible, but for many people and for many souls, especially those who have been living a life of sin, you can't summon up an act of perfect contrition on your dying bed. You need the sacrament of confession. You need the last rites. And so it's a very important that you, I mean, I think the game plan for me is I want to talk, make sure that I talk to my priest and make sure that they understand that they are to give me and my family confession if we're dying, no matter what the bishop says, period. And that's because it's divine law. The bishop cannot revoke that right. He can... He can suspend public masses because the mass is not essential to salvation per se. No. You know, you don't have to have mass to, to go to <clears throat> purgatory, but he cannot absolutely, he cannot withdraw a confession. I, yes. So I just put in our chat here, Tim, if you want to, um, maybe you can bring them up on the screen to show people. So I did uh, a video on uh, how to worship during the lockdown. Uh, because there's a lot of videos out there about various aspects. So I looked at the three most common things and I and I kind of put them into a, a nice 15, 20 minute video people can watch about how to do it. And then I also have a, a two part series on articles at the Fatima Center about how to do this in your home. So you have you can watch the video, but you can also have a, a guide through um, reading it. It's a two part series. Now, yes, can bishops? Uh, yes, there's the there's the article right there um, on how to worship this is the part two because part one is more theoretical and you can link it there in the uh it's a hyperlink there but um yes can bishops shut down masses yeah they can but i want to just call out the bishops a little bit here there's our home altar we did that for when we had to worship at home it's kind of nice actually um can bishops shut down masses yeah they can but they're not allowed like how should i put this it's still sinful for them to shut down the masses most of the time. The reason is because it's cowardly. Um, and also one of the things that um, really ticked me off when this lockdown started 
was, oh, don't worry if you're not receiving communion. And you see some priests on Twitter and stuff say this or some, you know, sort of moderate type Catholics. Don't worry, you know, St. So-and-so only received communion six times a year. Mm, sure. St. So-and-so was a cloistered nun or like a monk and did the divine office. Hearing mass every single day. Hearing mass every single day. Went to confession 30 times a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, was praying the whole Psalter, the rosary. I mean, the point is, because we, we have sanctifying grace, which we get through the sacraments, but we also have particular and actual graces that we have through devotion to prayer, um, friendship with God, whatever, already being in sanctifying grace, but then we can get deeper into the spiritual life. So sure, if the bishop said, due to coronavirus risk, which I don't believe in, in the, in the sense they say it, but nonetheless, due to coronavirus risk, we don't. We want to limit transmission, so we're not going to have communion for two months, let's say. However, mass will always be available. Confession will always be available. We're going to pray the rosary together, walking around. I hate the term, but socialistically, so, socialist distancing. We're gonna we're gonna walk around the river or the church, and we're gonna pray the rosary. Fine. You know what? Like that would suck in a way, but it would be uh, there would be a, a encouragement of more spiritual more prayerful um, um, uh, gatherings and things like that to strengthen the faithful. That would actually be kind of cool in a sense. It would be, um, you know, we're going to be in a state of grace because we're going to have confession and then we're going to buttress that with with greater prayer and we're going to hear mass still and so forth. So if anyone says, if I wanted to slap people, oh, I'm not going to mass. First of all, don't compare yourself to a saint. That's the opposite of what a saint does. <laughs> <laughs> so if you say, well, I'm not worried because St. Therese of Lisieux only received communion eight times a year. Sorry, did you just use yourself and St. Therese in the same sentence? <laughs> you need to go to confession. Anyway, I'm just saying. So, so if the lockdown happens again, you have to find a way. I think, especially as a father, I actually think it's at, at this point, it's your duty to try and make mass happen for your family for Christmas. That's the big one. So I give three options in the video in the article or two. So one is um, find the, try to find the Society of St. Pius X. Not in every, and, and not in every place can the Society of St. Pius X actually give you mass because in some places the jurisdiction the, the restrictions are so draconian that it's like jail time for you know leaving more than five kilometers from your house. That's a reality that you're gonna have to deal with. And the priests, there just was some pre a priest of the SSPX arrested in France with his parishioners. Um, I don't know what happened to them for doing mass anyway. Bravo to them because they're obeying God over man. And um, there you go. But you don't have to seek martyrdom every day. The catacombs existed. It's okay to try to do things in secret. That's totally fine. A lot of being a Christian is trying to escape. <laughs> so um, find good priests. They don't have to just be the SSPX. I know some diocesan priests that I won't name them, but I know that in what their diocese, they were forbidden from even hearing confessions, which is ridiculous. Even when they tried to do parking lot confessions, you know, whatever. I mean, you can get, you can go to the liquor store, but you can't sit six feet apart from somebody in a park bench and hear their confession. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and no, 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 no bishop... No governor, no one can restrict confessions, period. It's wrong. It, it's absolutely against God. Always disobey it. It's mortally sinful and part of the bishop. So you should probably go to confession, bishop, unless you forbade it. So then you damned yourself. But anyway, um, but this priest, these priests, they would say, you know, hey, I've got an office window. If you happen to walk by my office, I might have to hear your confession and I might have to say the words of absolution, you know, bravo. 
Okay, I wish they would yeah. do more, but at the same time, good priests. So they're not just the SSPX, but as far as mass, the thing is, the diocesan priests a lot of the time are obviously under obedience, and there's true and false obedience, but nonetheless, they're under some sort of restrictions. The SSPX priests don't have that issue, of course. Um, so they're more likely to find SSPX priests who will actually do like a private mass. Um, so, and just just a note I want to add here: if anybody has scruples with going to an SSPX SSPX, SSPX priest, yeah, the Vatican has clarified that you can receive communion from an SSPX priest even without any sort of emergency cause exactly. whatsoever. Yeah. You can do so whatsoever with quote no sin whatsoever unquote. And I yeah. can give you all the sources for that. The Vatican says that. So whatever their status, schism, not schism, whatever, you can go to an SSPX priest with absolutely no scruple, even if you disagree completely with all of the SSPX. So going to an SSPX priest to receive Holy Communion is completely fine. Yeah. And the Vatican says so. So if yeah. you disagree with that, you disagree with the Vatican. Okay. Yeah. And even Catholic so, answers points that out. And they're not known for being trads, but they're just correct on the matter. Yeah. So yeah. important point there. Um and yeah, sorry, go ahead. Well, and I was going to say also Eastern priests, because um, a lot of Eastern priests like uh, Byzantine or whatever. Um, I know, for example, around here, the, the Roman Catholic diocese had forbade the, had forbade Catholicism. Um, but the Eastern Byzantines, they're under like an eparchy or however it works. They have a different jurisdiction in things. So they were doing confessions the whole time. Yeah, that, and that's a good point, because that's the same way that the SSPX... I believe the ordinary as well and yeah. the Byzantine are all going to be a different jurisdiction than your local bishop. So they're not, especially the SSPX, they're not just disobeying the local bishops per no. se. They're actually under a different jurisdiction anyways. Even if they were fully canonical, they would be that way. So exactly. it's not just simply that they're just rebelling against the local bishop. They do have a sort of a different structure, even if they were totally canonical. Right. So you can go. So now, so try and find. So what I, what I suggest to people is it's the middle of November. You have about 40 days until Christmas. Right now, like today, find your buddies, figure out a location where you can have a mass. Because here's the thing too, a lot of places, how should I put this? Uh, in most places, these restrictions, they're not actually laws, which is why if you read the legal framework, they're not calling them laws. They're calling them recommendations. They're calling them mandatory suggestions. Like it's very 1984. It's modernism. It's Vatican II language, ambiguity, and so forth. So for example, in Ontario right now, it says no gatherings. Over, it's, I read this. I was on Mike Church the other day talking about it. It says no gatherings over 10 people, generally speaking. And then in the same paragraph, the next sentence, it says also no gatherings over 50. Like it's just it's it just says uh, you know general public gatherings restricted to ten in some cases general public gatherings generally you know restricted to fifty it's because they're not laws they're not actual laws so what they're doing is they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth and they're satisfying the corona lovers who want everyone to lose their business and die by suicide and they're and they're allowing people who are um, think for themselves to work away around it and they're not going to have a lawsuit because once again these things are unconstitutional. So know the laws, know what you can get away with, have a plan for how you can have Christmas mass and present that to your priests and don't, so they don't have to do anything except show up. That's a big thing as well. They don't want to, um, 
They don't want to have to look like they're trying to be disobedient in an explicit sense. So have something to show them, say, hey, father, if there's no mass mass on Christmas, which is likely, so-and-so has a farm or so-and-so has a big property or whatever. It doesn't even be big, just wherever. And we have an altar. And if you just show up at this time, you might happen to say mass for us. And there you go. Because in a lot of places, like I said, you can still visit people. So it's just a matter of turning. There's no law that says you can't have mass in your home. Okay. So do that. If that's not possible, then you have to organize something else for your family. I recommend processions. Uh, the reason is, is because even in the most draconian places, they still recommend going for walks. So even if you're in the height of the <laughs> Melbourne, stupid, uh, you know, kill yourself lockdown of Australia, they still say everyone should go outside for two hours a day because we care about your health. Fine. Go out for two hours or an hour on Christmas Eve. And imagine the scene. It's actually quite beautiful. It's Christmas Eve. Everybody's depressed because they're at home because they've destroyed their lives. But it's midnight. Maybe you could live in a snowy place. Uh, everybody from your parish or your chapel, you meet in front of your church. Um, you're going for your daily walk to be healthy. And you have candles and you have statues and your families, whatever, stand six feet apart, but they don't really care in your own walks. And usually you don't actually stand that close anyway, because you'll t that's one of the things you've realized about this whole socialist distancing is you don't usually stand more than four feet from somebody because you'll hit their heels when you're walking. But anyway, so walk around, pray the rosary and sing Christmas hymns as Christmas comes um, and carry candles. I mean, imagine what that would be like if, um, you know, you're walking down your neighborhood, everybody is sitting in their living rooms watching TV or drinking or whatever because they're depressed because they're locked in their house on Christmas. And they see 50 to 100 people walking by holding candles and singing Christmas hymns. I mean, talk about the light shining in the darkness. It would be beautiful. You should do that anyway. Even if you go to a 10 p.m. vigil, let's say, still do that after. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, so I recommend have two of those things planned right now, either private mass or have a, a procession organized now, but and mainly for your children. Because this lockdown is very hard on children. So it's it's hard to say to kids, we're going to watch Mass on Christmas. That's ridiculous. We're going to watch it on TV. No. Have something because it'll bring you joy. It'll be inspiring to people in your neighborhood and your town. But it'll also be something for your kids to have a real Christmas memory where um, they'll see that no matter what the situation is, that the faith is the most important part of Christmas. That's a great idea. I love that uh, Christmas Eve procession with Christmas carols. Uh, yeah. We will be talking more about the lockdown as things progress. Mm -hmm. uh, God willing, we'll touch on this again because there's so much more to say. Um, I, <clears throat> It seems to me that a reasonable position at this point is because the lockdown, we know that the lockdown is a grave threat to the economy, a grave threat to poor, a grave threat to the sick, a grave threat to the elderly and a grave threat to children. Talk about saving lives, you know. We know, therefore, then it is not unreasonable to say to both our ecclesiastical and secular leaders, if you wish to lock me down, you must present a grave cause to do so. Because we could say, well, hypothetically, if there really was a plague and people were stacked up bodies in the street, okay, then we can talk about shutting down the economy for the sake of the common good. Okay. It shut itself but down. You, but you have to, yeah, but you have to tell me why is this going to happen? Because you're asking me to sacrifice 
my own children and, and my own poor, you know, my elderly, sick, whatever, mm-hmm. and to sacrifice them to your ideas, you must prove to me that this is this is a lawful thing. Otherwise, I'm going to disobey it. And then you're going to have to just lock me up. You're going to have to enforce this because I think that at this point we need to disobey these orders because we know that they cause grave harm to the to so much so many things, so many people. Yeah. We need to disobey them. And we've seen that when 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 especially when the bishops have actually disobeyed and defied these things, they actually usually win because they know these things are baseless. There, there's there's no like you said, there's no lawful legal uh, thing. It, it's all based on fear mm-hmm. and just propaganda because and then when people actually resist it, they it's hard for them to even enforce it because well, the local no sheriffs and. Yeah, yeah, there's no laws for it. The local f- police force is like, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to enforce this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you go into the law courts, uh, to my knowledge, they've all won. All the courts, all the. All of them. I, I haven't heard of a single one that's actually failed, a single lawsuit that's failed in mm-hmm. challenging these res- restrictions. In so, most places, they're just not hearing the case because they don't want to. They're just right. extending it indefinitely. Right. So we got to wrap up. So let's offer up on our father, uh, especially in the face of these lockdowns but we pray for the poor souls in purgatory that they may have eternal rest eternal grace grant unto them O lord that thy perpetual shine upon them i also want to um let's see i'm trying to find the chat but uh patrick one of our chats here was just mentioning that he has a family member undergoing surgery um yes here here it is um my eldest will undergo serious spinal surgery december 1st so we'll offer an our father as well for your elders patrick so let's offer up this fa- this prayer. Uh, I don't have my icon set up, so we're just going to offer up this prayer. In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater nostra qui es in celis, sanctificeto in nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat vadotas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Pane nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, et emitti nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimittimus debitoribus nostris, et nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos malo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen.